This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Sunday, March 25th of 2018, it's episode 128. In this episode, sainthood. Plus, where we'd go if we could go anywhere. Japanese board games. A few quick words about our list of Patreon questions. And more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. And this is also a take two. We, we keep doing take twos. It's it's really <laughs> problematic, honestly, at this point. Yeah. So we had a guest host on whom we're hoping to have back again. And unfortunately, some computer problems on the guest host and caused their audio to not be usable. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic content. So we were really sad to lose this one. And we're mm-hmm. not going to spoil who this was until we can get them back. So yeah. Yeah, but we'll make that happen. Yeah. I do want to get through news and notes and our gaming recap really, really quickly, uh, but we have a pretty big topic ahead of us. Uh, This is a topic that Jenny has been working on for some time on Mm -hmm. sainthood, which is really neat. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. Let's go ahead and recap anything we have to talk about, which for me is not a lot. Yeah, nothing for me either. I've been uh, away for a week and a half. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, our uh, our gaming group hasn't really been able to get into much lately because of various and sundry things that boil down to adulthood. Mm. So Adulthood strikes again. Curse you, my nemesis, <laughs> adulthood. You notice that Grant isn't arguing with me here. No. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Only thing I have to talk about, honestly, is um, Chrissy has been recuperating from having wisdom teeth out. Woo, fun. And see also adulthood. <laughs> yeah, we, we've been watching some TV and things like that. And I caught the first episode of Children of the Whales on Netflix. Oh, it's on my list. It is on my list to watch. Oh, it looks it's so good. I've never even heard of this. Uh, it's an anime that I think you would actually really like. OK. Which I know is is a stretch because you're not a big <laughs> anime guy, but this looks really not cool. Usually, Imagine... No. Um, like it, it kind of feels like a, a Miyazaki Ursula K. Le Guin without the travesty that was the Earthsea anime. It looks really cool. I'm excited to keep going with <laughs> thunk, it. Thunk, thunk, thunk. Those are the sounds of references flying over my head and hitting the wall. <laughs> right, fair enough. <laughs> Suffice it to say, it it's very painterly, very beautiful. Reminds me a little bit of like Bahamut Lagoon in a mm. weird way. <laughs> thunk. <laughs> yeah, I keep. I keep aiming for Peter and missing. <laughs> anyway. My armor class uh, is real high this episode, folks. <laughs> Not even by design. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I'll have more to say about it later, but it looks really cool and I'm excited to get back to it. Okay. If we don't have a whole lot to talk about, I am going to go ahead and roll us up a Patreon question. We ready? Yep. Oh, hold on. Before I do this, I do have one bit of news and notes that I do want to get to before we do our Patreon question. Those of you who maybe don't follow all of our Patreon updates, but our Patreon backers, We have posted a link in one of our Patreon-only posts to a spreadsheet of all of the questions that we have in the backlog and on the table that we roll on. It's been requested for a little while. I I wasn't doing it before because I kind of set up the spreadsheet in a way that revealed some personal information, made a new spreadsheet, doesn't have any of that. We should be good to go. As a result, people looked at it and said, hey, wait, you don't have my questions that I'd sent in and that I had apparently completely missed. So we now have a much larger backlog of questions and a table with many more people on it. So I'm very excited about that. So Ooh, thank you all of you. Yay. If you have other questions and you've been like, well, I don't know if I want to send one in, take a look at this, maybe draw some inspiration, maybe go, wait, but I want to ask this instead. That's a great thing to ask. 
send those <laughs> Why into hasn't us. anybody thought to ask this yet? Well, yeah. Because it was being held open for you. <laughs> so go ahead and send those in if you want to get your question on that list. All right. Going to roll a die here. Okay. So this is from Tom Stevens. If you could go any one place in the world, where would you go and why? Uh, Mine's going to be a little bit out there, uh, or it's going to be a little different. I'm going to say Sweden, specifically a southern part of Sweden called Malmö, because that is where a bunch of my family is from. And apparently uh, they really want to get to know the Canadian contingent of, of their family. Um, and also um, my great grandmother requested in her will that she have her ashes buried in Sweden. But we can't afford to do that. And this happened so long ago, we're pretty sure we cannot get a hold of the doctor who signed her death certificate, uh, which mm. you need to have them sign off on that before you go transporting ashes across international waters. <laughs> so what I want to do instead is I want to get a rock or some dirt or something from her family's old farm, bring that back here and um, bury that next to where we buried her ashes. That would be nice. I, I can yeah. appreciate that. I thought for a little bit there you were going to like pre-confess to smuggling or something. I was like, no, 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 no not on the mics. Not on I'm, the mics. Not, <laughs> I'm not smart enough to smuggle things. I don't know how to do it. So, yeah. OK, Peter, uh, someplace with nice natural surroundings where I can actually visit an ocean. Um, never seen one before. I've seen the Rocky Mountains. I've traveled across a big chunk of the Midwest, but. I've never actually seen an ocean in person, although I have seen the Great Lakes, so that's at least a body of water that you can't see the other side of, but <laughs> I feel like it's not the same. It's fair. Yeah. I mean, I have a huge list of places I want to go to, honestly. I think right now, if you ask me this, my answer is going to be Japan, and that's because I've been studying Japanese, I've been watching Japanese TV shows, and you know, there are lots of places in Japan that look beautiful. I could be convinced to go, for example, to the Rockies, which I've never seen. Uh, I've flown over them twice. Once I was too little to remember. Not very helpful. And I would <laughs> like to see them there. You know, I could name any of other any number of other places I, I would love to go. But I think right now, Japan and not just, hey, let's go to Tokyo, rural Japan, see the landscape, see some of the natural beauty out there. That would actually be really lovely. Yeah. Apparently, actually, um, the prefecture that uh, Fukushima is in is actually really pretty and has a lot of really cool science museums. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I did not know that. Okay. Well. Yeah, my, my dad works on Fukushima stuff and has gone there, and it's really oh. pretty. So, yeah. Well, I'm very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was hanging out in business meetings all day and didn't really get to experience it, so don't feel too jealous. That's but, fair. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. Oh, did I talk about the Japanese American Association game night last episode? No, it was a bonus episode, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Actually, I do have one quick gaming thing to talk about this. Uh, <laughs> okay. First of all, Tom, thank you for your question. Really yes. appreciate it. Thank you for your support on Patreon. If anyone else wants to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash saving the game only takes a dollar and you guys help keep us on the air. And uh, because of your generosity, our weekend reading posts are now weekly again, which we really appreciate. So thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Okay, so I got to talk about this real quick. My wife and I, as I said, you know, we're studying Japanese and went to a meeting of the jet or an event put on by the Japanese American Association of South Carolina, which is based here in Greenville. And it was kind of neat because it was a board game night or board game afternoon, I should say, put on by this association to kind of bring in new people and also just to hang out, have fun and, and meet folks, which was really cool. We played Sushi Go, which is not at all Japanese. It's just <laughs> sushi themed, uh, but it's a fun little game. We got to teach it to people. Chrissy and I had played it before. 
kind of refreshed ourselves on the rules and taught everyone else how to play it, which was really fun. I think I won. Yeah, I did win one game. And then uh, the cool thing is they did a, a lottery in the Japanese style. So, you know, if you won, you get to pull a ticket out of a box. And Chrissy did not win a prize. I did. Uh, I got a pair of chopsticks. <laughs> Chrissy got a package of rice crackers that were really good. So yeah. <laughs> well, hey, there you go. whatever. But the cool thing is the other thing we played is a game called Koi Koi. And it's played with Hanafuda cards, which are basically Japanese playing cards. They're smaller and more tile-like, but functionally they serve the same purpose. They're a deck of cards that you play many different games with. Uh, They've been around since like the 1500s in different forms, just like any other deck of cards. What's interesting is this game is, is really very complicated, has a lot of moving parts going on. You're kind of trying to make matches out of your hand, but also drawing from the deck and then trying to see if you have a particular type of set which scores certain amount of points. It gets very strange. Crazy thing about it is Nintendo actually wrote the rules for it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Nintendo's been around for a long time. Nintendo's been around for over 100 years. Yeah. They did trading card stuff for, uh, for a very long time. It did some other sketchier ventures as well um, (laughs) that I cannot bring up on the mics before they created the NES and suddenly turned into a video game company. They actually published the official rules for Koi Koi. There's a a PDF on the Nintendo website says, yeah, these are the rules. Interesting. But we went to that and it was fun and interesting and uh, I think a good way to meet people. So, hey, gaming news. Cool. Yay. Nice. So that's the one little bit of gaming news I did have after all. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to our scripture, which Jenny, I believe, has mostly picked out. Yeah. And this time we're going to be using verses from the NASB, which I think stands for the New American Standard Bible, as opposed to the NIV, which we usually use. And that's because, well, this episode is about sainthood. The NIV usually refers to saints as the people or or people or it doesn't use the word saint very often, whereas the NASB does. Um, the, NS- the NASB uses language in a format closer to original translations, and the NIV uses plain language. It uses plain speak. So the NIV is great for reading out loud, which is why we use it most of the time. The NASB is better for nuance. So that's why we're using the NASB today. Um, anybody have any preferences as to which one they'd like? I'll take Romans. Okay. I'll take that chunk of Psalms. And I will take Revelation. This is Psalm 16, verses 1 through 3. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good beside you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. And our next reading is from Romans, chapter 8, verses 26 to 30. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. And Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. And I saw between the throne, the throne with the four living creatures, and the elders a lamb standing, as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. 
When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So we're talking tonight about sainthood, and yeah. I think to talk about that, and understand, we're going to be touching on individual saints here mm-hmm. and there. We kind of started this when we were first talking about other series that we wanted to do, in mm-hmm. fact, uh, and we kind of banded around the idea of doing a series on interesting saints in the history of the church. And then we realized we should probably do an episode about sainthood first. Yes. Because that would kind of help us start that off and be something we (laughs) could refer back to. And also we would like to know what we're talking about. So, yay. Yeah. And, you know, not finishing one series before we start on another is how we roll. So we are going to finish (laughs) the Ten Commandments series at some point, but... Yes, we are starting another one. Don't, don't you corner me. This is how I watch. This is how I watch everything. I don't see why I shouldn't podcast this way. I, just, just specifying in case anybody was concerned. Carry on. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. All right, Jenny, you've done uh, most of the legwork on this, which I really appreciate. Yeah. Why don't you kind of explain for everyone what a saint is? All right, here we go. Cracks knuckles. And I, and I know you're. Mostly talking about this from an Anglican perspective. Yeah, primarily. Because Anglicanism does talk about saints a whole lot. We talk about it every Sunday uh, in the communion of saints. Now, there are a lot of different Christian traditions surrounding sainthood. And so we're actually going to be focusing initially on Anglicanism, but then we're going to be focusing more on the Catholic tradition of how to become a saint, because it's really interesting and um, explains a whole lot about what being a saint in the Catholic tradition means as opposed to uh, most of the rest of the Christian world. I also know that um, orthodoxy has its own uh, separate things. The Catholic tradition is a lot easier to research for me. I have a lot more resources in it. Um, I actually did study it a little bit uh, in high school because I was part of a Catholic youth group that primarily catered to children who were sort of gearing up for confirmation and during confirmation, you basically choose a guardian saint. So I do actually know a fair amount of the Catholic tradition just from previous experience. Now, in the Low Anglican tradition, as it was taught to me, all baptized Christians are members of the communion of saints. Are you a baptized Baptist? Great, you're a saint. Congrats. Whether you like it or not, in the eyes of Anglicans, you're a saint. You did it. It doesn't matter what denomination you are. We're all saints. But not all Christians are canonized saints. Not all of them are given feasts. Anglicans uh, share the vast majority of saints with the Roman Catholic Church because the Anglican Church is a direct split from the Roman Catholic Church, as in, like, in some high Anglican traditions, not a lot, but in some high Anglican traditions, the only difference between Catholicism is that you can divorce, and that's it. I'm low Anglican, so there are a far, like, there are way more differences um, (laughs) between Anglicanism and the Catholic Church, though enough that we do still share a lot of the same language or at least up until recently, shared a lot of the same language surrounding saints. Also in the Anglican tradition, saints and heroes of the church are conflated, and saints don't even have to be Anglican when they die. So like William and Catherine Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, they are Anglican saints. John Wesley, who is the founder of Methodism, Anglican saint. (laughs) Founder of my denomination. (laughs) Florence Nightingale. Anglican saint. These people are considered saints of the Anglican communion because they were Christian people and they did good, important Christian things. There is honestly not a lot of formalized stuff about the way Anglicans become saints. What little protocol there was was finalized during the 1958 Lambeth Conference, 
Uh, the Lambeth Conference is one of the, I think, four instruments of communion. It's basically a meeting of bishops, and it happens every 10 years. This is actually going to be a Lambeth Conference year, I think. Um, and so in the 79th resolution of the 1958 Lambeth Conference, it was stated that... In the case of scriptural saints, care should be taken to commemorate men or women in terms which are in strict accord with facts made known in Holy Scripture. In case of other names, the calendar, spelt with a K, by the way, should be limited to those whose historical character and devotion are beyond doubt. So you really gotta know, they were devout Christians. In the choice of new names, economy should be observed, and controversial names should not be inserted unless they can be seen in the perspective of history. And the addition of a new name should normally result from a widespread desire expressed in the region concerned over a reasonable period of time. Okay, so looking at this, this makes me wonder immediately if Fred Rogers' name is eventually going to get added. Uh, it may be added. I, I would not be surprised at all. I, I would not be surprised. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail there. I'm just, I'm just listening to these criteria and I'm like, yeah. No, yeah, not, he, not, he lives it. <laughs> yeah. he, he lived a, a very good Christian life openly and did a lot of good in the world um so yeah. what little other anglican tradition there is it's summarized in uh what is called the calendar of the church year in the book of alternative services uh which a lot of churches just call the green book i've also heard it called the book of awful services um <laughs> from some more uh traditional individuals who prefer the book of common prayer um and basically if at the regional or local level you want to give somebody a feast day because they epitomized and lived um, the mystery of Christ. You do it. Um, I believe my church actually has a local saint. I, I believe Gloria Brown is now considered a saint, and I believe she is given a feast day in our local church. The liturgical text titled For All the Saints goes into a lot of more depth and also lists all saints formally canonized by the Anglican Church as of 1989. Another thing to note, if you want to get more into this, all uh, Anglican liturgical texts, like all the main ones, are available completely for free, at least for the Anglican Church of Canada, are available free as PDFs on anglican.ca. There will be a link in the show notes. Yep. Huh. Why only up to 1989? That was 29 years ago. You know because how long it, it takes to redo a 40, text? It took them about 40 years to write that book because they had to gather short biographies and writings of all of the saints. Gotcha. So... It took 40 years. I am guessing yeah. the next edition will come out about 40 years from now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's why 1989. Um, Fair a, enough. A lot of things also got published in 1989. I believe that was when the most recent edition of the uh, BAS was put out. So, yeah. yeah. Same okay. way you don't redo a hymnal every three years, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. Mm -hmm. So now, how does one become canonized in the Roman Catholic tradition? I had a lot of fun writing this part of the show notes. I'm going to be yes, pretty much reading it word by word. If you guys want to jump in, feel free. After hearing this, you will understand why Grant and I were like, oh my goodness, we're going to have to have Jenny write all of our outlines going <laughs> forward. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> now, quick note, why the Roman Catholic tradition? Mostly because this is what I think most people who are not Catholic think of when they hear the word saint. Yeah. Yeah. If you're Anglican, Episcopalian, you may think otherwise because of those traditions that you're in. But most mm -hmm. Protestants descended from like the Calvinist line or anything along the, th those lines probably think saints. Oh, that Catholic thing. Yeah. Well, so let's let's talk about even, that. You know, it, it bears mentioning that 
I'm a Methodist, which is an Anglican offshoot, and we do nothing with saints. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Presbyterians define sainthood pretty broadly, kind of much in the same way as the Anglicans, Jenny, in the, the sense of, you know, when we talk about the saints, we're talking about the church universal as it stands through time and space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it ever gets brought up in a Methodist service, that's what it means there, too. But it's like yeah. there's no special canonized you know roster of, hey, these people are really exceptional. No. Yeah. We have some of that, but they are not canonized. And canonized is a word we're going to need to talk about. So mm-hmm. let's get started with step one. Jenny. All right. Step one. Die well Catholic. You have to be dead and you have to be Catholic. All right. It's very easy. Uh, I also presume that you probably should have last rites done before you die, but I am not entirely sure on that. So moving on to step two, service day uh, or servant of God. So at least five years after you die, a bishop in your diocese opens an investigation into just how good a person you were. Um, sometimes the Pope speeds up this process a little, but generally speaking, you got to wait five years. A committee or association is formed to look through all of your writings and stuff and things, write a biography and generally try to have, figure out how good you were. Did you do charitable works? Did you perform miracles in front of eyewitnesses? You have to write all of that down. All of it. You got to be no, detailed. Not you, because you're dead. And well, yeah. But, yeah. you know, somebody the, is writing this down for you. The association has to be detailed in, in your place. Um, so once your whole life has been detailed by the association, the bishop brings your biography to the congregations for the causes of saints of the Roman Curia, hereafter referred to as the congregation or congregations. Someone called a postulator is then assigned to find even more detail about your life based on this biography. And at this point, uh, your body gets dug up and turned into relics. So if you want to become a saint, please make it easy for everybody and don't get cremated. Um, <laughs> or, you know, blown to smithereens in a or bomb blast or something. Yeah, we'd like some relics, please. For reference on what relics are, we actually did an episode on that. Which was another one that Jenny did a lot of uh, research on, and it was surprisingly educational. Grant did a lot of research okay. for that one. I I I'm not taking credit for too. very much of that. Yeah, this was episode 107. We'll link that in the show notes as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, so now, step three, venerabilis, or venerable. At this point, your body has been turned into relics, so it's a little late to turn back now. Uh, the congregation goes to the Pope and asks him to say that you are a hero, that you exercise to a heroic degree the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, and the cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. And then the Pope says, yes, he'll do that. And then he does it. And then the Catholic Church now encourages everybody to literally, quite literally, pray for a miracle. Because in order to go to step four, a miracle must be performed or have been performed by the intercession of you, of the venerable, so that we know for sure that God wants this person to be canonized. Now, step four, beatus or beata, blessed. Um, at this point, we now know you're in heaven. Because up until now, we we didn't know. We weren't sure, but now we know for sure. And the process for beatification is a little different depending on whether or not you were a martyr. So if you were a martyr, the Pope just has to say, you were martyred. Congrats. And this you, you, probably gets you out of the last rites thing, I would imagine. Because a lot of the time, yeah. if you're going to be martyred, they probably aren't going to show you that kind of respect. Yeah. Um, so if you weren't martyred, you have to have lived an exemplary Catholic life, basically living and breathing the word of God. And you also have to have performed a miracle as a venerable. The majority of the time, these miracles are of the healing kind because there's like actual concrete proof that something happened. So at this point, you are given a feast day and churches are allowed to name themselves after you. Unfortunately, not everybody is allowed to celebrate your feast day. Um, only your home church or any order you associated with, like churches associated with you. But... 
You're so close. You're this close. Really close to becoming a saint. And that's really, really cool. Now, step five. Saint or Sanctus or Sancta. There are a couple of different ways that things can go from here. So if you were martyred, you have to perform two more miracles. But if you weren't martyred, you only have to perform one more miracle because you have already done one. You already got done. You, you got that done. You're good. Uh, okay. Sometimes the Pope will decide that the Blessed was such like an amazing person. Like, close enough. You're pretty much already a saint. But the Congregation and the Sacred Car- College of Cardinals... They also have to agree with the Pope. So that's not really a common route to sainthood at all. I'm guessing that like the Pope doesn't decide that they were super awesome at all. But then like to have to get the congregation in the Sacred College of Cardinals to agree. Uh, it's just it's not a common thing. It's happened like twice, three times. Um, so congratulations. You, you're a saint. You did it. And now you have a feast day that the Universal Church can celebrate if they want to. You are definitely in heaven. You can definitely hear prayers. And you are definitely having an awesome time. You can also be chosen as a guardian saint during someone's confirmation, as previously uh, stated in this episode. So that is how you be a Catholic saint in the Catholic tradition. So I have a question and or a bit of like gaming relevant stuff. Okay. That's that's interesting. So there's this whole like thing in step three that I was just like totally taken aback by. Okay. So there's probably this group of like semi saints or something that can still theoretically perform miracles from heaven and and stuff as part of their tradition, but don't quite qualify for sainthood. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, There's actually a, a pretty long list of people who were made venerable centuries ago, but haven't been made blessed because they have not yet performed a miracle and have not yet been canonized. And then there's probably a bunch of blessed too. And then there's the, yep. the final kind of, so there's and, actually and like also this a lot three of tiered day, thing. So yeah. yeah. Or four tiered. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. I had no idea. That's really fascinating. It is. It's really cool. But I had a I, vague like, idea, but I, I never really knew the order of things. Certainly yeah. didn't know that, you know, you could have a feast day before you were a saint. Yeah, I didn't know about the relics thing either. That was a thing no. that was totally glossed over in youth group. I'm guessing that they didn't want to tell a bunch of, like, 10-year-olds, hey, all the saints got their bodies taken apart and moved and and stuff. Yeah, that's that's probably a little hardcore for a 10-year-old to grapple with. It's probably yeah. something they say for when you're closer to high school age. Yeah. Something else you mentioned, and this is something we do need to delve into. Mm-hmm. Now that you are a saint, mm-hmm. we know you're in heaven, yeah. and we know you can hear prayers. Let's talk about saints and prayers. All right. So so here's a thing that I actually really want to demystify, because especially in certain Christian traditions, the whole prayer thing makes a lot of churches want to say that Catholics are inherently sinful for doing this. Right. Idolatry. Is the accusation usually. Or even polytheism sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I hear that one a lot too. And I, in some cases, I'm kind of inclined to agree with with certain accusations there, especially with um, the Virgin Mary. However, moving on, prayer in the Catholic Church is treated very differently. And it's seen less as a form of worship when applied to saints and more of a sign of respect, like a conversation. Um, So, okay, hang on. So this is basically like kind of a more formalized version of when you go to like a dead relative's tombstone and you say stuff to them and yes. that sort of thing. It's it's that kind of a, a it is, deal. It is at that same level. 
Okay. This goes back to the the scripture that I that I put in. It goes back specifically to um I'm trying to find the exact part of Romans. But basically the spirit himself interceding for us and the bowls of incense which are the prayers of the saints. So in those senses we are called to lift up prayers via the saints. So I've I've heard praying to the saints referred to in sort of like a phone operator kind of sense. So you pray to the saint to lift your prayers about specific subjects to God so that the saints might inspire you or even that God intercedes through that saint for your cause. So like St. Anthony is the patron, patron saint of little lost things. So like if you've lost your car keys, you send your prayers to God via St. Anthony. Interesting. And another aspect of this, uh, this goes back to what I was talking about with the church universal, uh, the church of all the saints, the church of all the Christians who have lived together throughout time and space mm-hmm. to whom death, having lost its sting, is no barrier. Yeah. Just because somebody has died, especially in the Catholic tradition, does not mean that they are not part of the church and thus able to pray. Yeah. And the idea is that you can ask them to pray for you because you know that they are a good, devout Christian. Mm-hmm. We've, you know, we've proved this through miracles and everything else that Jenny described. And a painstaking investigative process. Before. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. And as such, you know, as one of those devout, sainted figures, their prayer is expected to have some effect. Mm-hmm. And so you're asking them essentially to pass on your prayers and say in the same way you would say hey buddy i'm having a hard time would you pray for me it's Mm -hmm. hey i'm having trouble with this would you pray for me you're asking that of a particular saint yeah that's That's how i've heard that's actually what the whole hail mary is about pray for us sinners like Mm -hmm. it's hey mary please pray for us right Um, and certainly the idea even as a, a presbyterian the idea of minimizing that barrier that is death I think is something we need to remember because, yeah. you know, we need to remember that we are one of the same church as those who have gone on before us and they are still with us in that respect. Mm-hmm. There's actually a really good paragraph about that in the book For All the Saints. Uh, it, it talks mm-hmm. about in some ways through death, they are more alive and more complete than they ever were on Earth. We don't know much about how death works and we don't know exactly what it's like in the afterlife. But we know that there is an afterlife and that they are still members of the body of Christ. So in that regard, sainthood itself is not inherently sinful. And I I, actually, I personally have like conflicting feelings on praying to the saints because like it's mentioned a couple times in the New Testament as like a thing that the Holy Spirit can can help the saints with. And it's mentioned in Revelation. But I feel like the dead should I, I want to give them a break. They probably lived a really rough life and I just want to let them rest. Right. OK, so the PCUSA position on it is mm-hmm. that that is not necessarily a bad thing, but the temptation to idolatry of that yeah. becoming praying to someone instead of asking them to pray with you yeah. is so great that we don't do that. Yeah. But for those of you who are curious how this is, you know, works in the Catholic tradition and in other similar traditions, that's the idea of prayer, quote unquote, to a saint. Mm-hmm. Two is maybe Pray- not necessarily quite the correct term. Yeah. It, like praying with or excuse me. Asking um, for intercession is really yeah. maybe the better way to say it. Yeah. Now, Jenny made this whole process sound very clean and organized. 
It and ain't simple. It's not. <laughs> if, no. if somewhat in depth, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot that goes on there. There is a great deal of debate about who is and isn't a saint. One thing that we see is the idea of a folk saint, somebody who is considered a saint locally, even though they have not actually been made a saint by the church. The most extreme example of this I know is the 13th century saint, St. Guinefort, who is a dog. <laughs> this Must have been a really awesome dog. <laughs> well, so the, the story goes... And I'm just recalling this from memory. I don't have the story pulled up, but this is the story. It follows a um, a very traditional archetype, actually, of uh, Welsh or Celtic story. The, the story goes that the dog of a rather poor knight was at home guarding a child in its cradle. The knight had left. His dog was there guarding an infant. And a viper came into the house and crawled into the uh, or was going to the crib to bite the child and the dog attacked the viper and killed it and then uh, met the knight at the door its mouth covered in blood when the knight came home the knight thinking that the dog had killed his son immediately cut the dog's head off uh, the dog being named Gunnifort, just in case that wasn't clear and then went in found the remains of the viper and his son safe at which point uh, he realized what he had done and gave the dog a, a good burial. This, like I said, this follows an ancient story archetype, but in particular reasons, uh, this dog was considered a saint, a Saint Guinefort. Naturally, this was never formalized by the Vatican, as you might expect. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a lot in there for non-human saints. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you do some reading on it, what's interesting is that in typical medieval and renaissance era fashion veneration of this particular saint was not no 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 you guys are wrong it, a dog can't be a saint but clearly this is a devil deceiving everyone and probably witches are involved so let's make up stories about witches okay reading up on it is pretty interesting supposedly it's like oh yeah you know worship this devil they call saint guinefort uh, by passing a child back and forth through branches until it dies it's like what what <laughs> what why <laughs> Okay, but anyway, this is a, an example of somebody who can be considered a saint, and I'm, I'm focusing on this dog because it's a very extreme example, but there are plenty of other examples of somebody who's considered a saint to a community of some size, but who has not been formally declared a saint, and thus that causes friction with the parent church or outsiders who don't know them. There are all sorts of bizarre and interesting examples. The other aspect of this is that who gets declared a saint depends somewhat on the historical context. Mm -hmm. I was reading actually just last week or the week before a really interesting write up from a historian commenting on a question of, you know, OK, so Joan of Arc was burned at the stake. And then 25 years after she was burned at the stake for heresy, she was retried by the church and found innocent. And this kind of got into this commentator on this started talking about this early 14th century on tradition of living saints, which church authorities and the wider public were getting more and more suspicious of. These were almost exclusively charismatic women living virtuous, ascetic life with mystical gifts. And these living saints really started kind of to become visible and far-reaching causes for factions within the church, especially during the, the schism, during the Avignon papacy, so on and so forth. And all of a sudden, you have women who have power in a male clerical world. Birgitta of Sweden, the commenter says, was canonized not long after her death, but the battle was rhetorically and theologically brutal. 
And Mm. so a lot of the debate about who is a saint can come down to what else is going on in a Mm -hmm. church. So that's something uh, as we kind of move into talking about gaming this something to think about. That's a point where you can create friction. Okay, this person is a saint to these people, but they represent a faction and are supported by a faction. Are they actually a saint? Does Mm -hmm. is the rumors we're hearing about their sins coming from rival factions or were they really, you know, secretly sinful or overtly sinful? What is this? Yeah. Were they somewhat like the so-called Old Testament saints where they were deeply flawed people, but still virtuous at the same time? You know, yeah, Yeah, exactly. So gaming saints. First off, Peter, I think you and I talked about this maybe back in episode one, (laughs) like way, (laughs) way early on. We brought up the idea of like, if you want to game in a setting that sort of requires having multiple deities, but you're not comfortable with a setting with more than one god, you can turn some of those other deities into saints. Yeah, this is actually partly why I wanted to do this episode, because um, I've been listening to an actual play podcast called Friends at the Table. And they have a a multi-theistic setting. But the way that they treat their quote-unquote deities, it's really similar to the way that Catholics treat sainthood. Um, Because there is clear evidence in their setting that the quote-unquote deities were real people who walked the earth and did actual great things that had lasting good effect. And so even though that particular setting that they made up on the podcast, they actually have like a setting-making episode, um, though those settings... Uh, that setting in particular calls those individuals gods. Their roles seem to be really, really similar to uh, the roles of sainthood in, at the very least, the Anglican Church. And the way that their magic works as well in, in that setting, it's it's really similar to the Catholic Church. Um, yeah. There are little hints of this, even in settings like the Forgotten Realms, where certain people sort of get subsumed into the role of a particular god. So it's Kelimvor not- started as a mortal. Yeah, that's actually the one I was thinking of, the um, god of death at some point in the setting, who took over from the really awful evil god of death. And that idea of a mortal taking over that role and being given some realm in which you pray to them for intercession seems very saint-like. Yeah, Uh, I actually did this to your setting when we decided to retcon it into monotheism. Yeah, and that's maybe worth pointing out. This is a very easy retcon for any existing setting as well. Yeah, Lambert went from being um, a cleric of a deity called Elana to being a member of an order dedicated to Saint Selana, Hmm. and no mechanical changes were required. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it's worth pointing out you did that kind of because you wanted uh, the trappings of a monotheistic church, but also because you were mildly uncomfortable with it, I think. Uh, more the former than the latter. I've okay. definitely done polytheistic settings before. The first one that I homebrewed had, I think it was three gods for each of the alignments, you know, around the outside of the three by three grid and then seven true neutral ones that represented like larger cosmic concepts and stuff. Does everybody's first homebrew have like dozens and dozens of deities? Because mine did. <laughs> I mean, probably. Is this a it's thing? A, it's a fun thing to like think of and stuff. So maybe that's it. Or maybe it's just, you know, like second edition settings just bleeding into what we think about. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's it, because I started D&D with third edition. The only yeah. exposure I've really had to second edition was like Baldur's Gate. Yeah. So, well, OK, Baldur's Gate, though. 
Forgotten Realms, just you can't walk down the street without tripping on two gods and throwing a rock at the third one sitting in a cafe. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, then like, you know, the clerics of numbers four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen are having an argument over there. And, you know, there's a shrine to number sixteen over yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. And this it isn't even bad. a tenth of the pantheon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some other options. You can use sainthood as a plot point, obviously. If you're all clerics and you're trying to get a particular venerable or blessed uh, person to perform a miracle through you, through your order, that sort of thing. Easy uh, plot point right there. Or you're dealing with a group who says that there is one. You're trying to find evidence for it. Clerical investigators would be kind of an interesting (laughs) game to get into. Yeah. Sainthood City Blues. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I could see that. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That would be a very interesting gumshoe game. Yeah, Yeah, see, there you go. Living Saints. Are there any in your game? What is that like? You know, I was talking about living saints before, this idea of, you know, people who exhibit miracles while still alive. Another one that was very interesting of about the same era is uh, Lucia Bracciadelli. Do some research on her. These are good examples of like figures who you can kind of see things happening around and maybe, you know, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Are they going to be canonized like almost immediately after they die? Certainly they're going to be polarizing figures for much of the same reason we talked about before. Yeah. Fire Emblem Awakening also has a living saint character. And her name is slipping my mind, but she's basically a really important NPC in in the game who would also be an an interesting person to model a living saint NPC after because she does cause controversy a lot and kind of causes a war. So, wow. Yeah. It, it's it's a little war. It's fine. It's yeah. don't worry about it. <laughs> Likewise, um Miracles are a useful tool and a useful plot possibility uh, Mm -hmm. for any game that's involving anything religious. Intercession of Saints can literally be whatever you need it to be in your game. My character has a weird vision. Oh, they have a strange prophetic dream. Well, maybe they just have a saint talking to them. That's fine. Serves the same purpose and maybe establishes more about your setting than spooky wizard, (laughs) you know? Well, and could also create kind of an interesting NPC if this saint kind of forms a relationship with the character and speaks to them over time, possibly even starts speaking to other members of the party. That could be neat. Yeah. Yeah. It could also be argued that clerical magic in and of itself could be attributed to miraculous intercession. Sure. Like healing is one of the most common intercessional miracles because, as, as previously mentioned, it is a concrete thing that you can see. So healing could be the intercession of a saint known for compassion and gentleness. Um, if your cleric has, oh, what's, what's the spell? It, it grants bull's strength or owl's wisdom, I think. Enhanceability in fifth Enhanceability, edition. Enhanceability, yeah. yeah so those those be... are like third and fourth edition versions of it where there was one spell per stat. Yeah. Well, they still yeah. call the variations of the enhanceability spell that in fifth. You yeah. just get to choose which one you want to use as you cast it. Yeah. So like whichever one you use could be the intercession of a different saint. And if you roll badly. Saints are a little annoyed today. Saints are a little annoyed today. Or uh, the intercession might not work if it's being used for like selfish or immoral reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, the saint looks at what you're doing and is like, I see what you're trying to do and I don't like it. (laughs) And that probably works better in a game where you're not just um, kind of doing a success or failure kind of role. Like, this this probably wouldn't work in D&D. Yeah. 
but in a game where you've got fate points or bennies mm-hmm. or, you know, a stronger narrative drive where it's like, hey, my character is explicitly on the wrong track and I should expect their stuff to fail. And I've built that in mechanically like that. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Getting over that would be a major victory for that sort of character. You know, naturally, uh, my mind immediately kind of goes to a more Lovecraftian, you know, it, are these miracles really something else happening in an unknown armies kind of game? You could very yeah. easily get people whose goal is to try and um, get miracles attributed to someone through any means possible. Yeah. Unknown armies is also, it would be a good setting in which to put like a living saint kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah. It'd be odd in certain yeah. ways, but. That sort of um, I want something and I will I, I refuse to rest until that need has been met. I was going to say, it certainly wouldn't make the default setting any messier than it already is. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely not. You know, these are, are perfectly good options. And I think uh, this kind of harkens back to conversations we've had before, actually, when we we're talking about resurrection. The idea of saints continuing to exist after death, to be part of the universal church, mm-hmm. that kind of relationship could be something you could draw on, uh, you know, when a character does die or visits some plane where the dead are or echoes of the dead remain, you know, in a, mm-hmm. a fantasy setting or anything along those lines. Having that as a resource or as a setting element or plot point, anything like that could be very valuable. I am totally yeah. using a lot of this stuff for the setting I'm writing now that I know about it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fine. I cannot wait to start playing that. Just FYI. Yeah. Hint, hint, wink, wink. I cannot nudge, wait nudge. to start running it, so. <laughs> yeah. So that'll be fun. Anything else on Sainthood? I feel like we've, it, it's a very big topic and we've kind of just it described it more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, when we do get around to doing a series on Sainthood or particular saints, I think some of these details will become clearer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in gaming terms. But this is maybe more of an educational episode than well, <laughs> we're, we're laying groundwork yeah. here. Let's yeah. let's yeah. You know, not beat around the bush. This is this is kind of the baseline knowledge that you're going to need to understand stuff that we're hoping to get to in the future. So we figured it would be good to do this first. Yeah. And it's just good to have anyway. Yeah. 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 I mean, I didn't know a whole lot about this before um, we started this episode. Jenny has taught me a lot just through this little conversation. So this is cool. Yeah, and I hope our listeners have learned some as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this also bears mentioning, you know, I mean, we rocketed through stuff quickly because we try and yeah. keep these podcasts to around an hour. But especially our Catholic listeners, if we got something wrong, if there's some additional detail we should apply to something, if we didn't look at something in, you know, quite the right light, please get mm-hmm. in touch with us and let us know. Yes, First please. of all, we, we like to have accurate information and we don't mm-hmm. like misinforming our listeners. And second... Even if we got, you know, things mostly right and you just want to give us some additional detail, that conversation sounds like it would be awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. So and don't hesitate to put that, say, in our Discord channel or, yeah. on the, yeah. you know, in the comments below this episode. Any place like that would be really good. Or tweet us at Saving the Game or reach out to us on Facebook if you're still using Facebook. Facebook.com slash Saving the Game. Things like that. And if you've got uh, some correction for us, we will be more than happy to share that with our listeners. Yeah. If you want to kind of reach out to our community of listeners, I do recommend our Discord, which you can find a link to on our website, stgcast.org. It's just kind of right over there on the right side. It's a gray box. You'll see it. Super easy to spot. If you've got any questions or uh, want to reach out to us for anything else, of course, you can always 
uh, reach out through social media as well. That's an easy way to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm excited yep. for the next couple episodes, folks. We've got uh, some interesting guests. We've got some interesting topics. Uh, we've kind of kicked back into gear as Spring winter is starting here. Yeah, yeah winter yeah. wraps up and I get my life back together. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Our brains are thawing. <laughs> exactly. Thanks for listening, folks. Really appreciate it. Jenny, thank you for all the work you put into this episode. It's super cool. It was super yeah. fun to do. Yeah. I, I love doing research things like this. So Don't say that. You're, you're going to be writing more <laughs> outlines, you know. Don't pretend like this wasn't one of the many reasons why we wanted Jenny on the podcast, Grant. <laughs> She's a librarian, for goodness sake. I am not a librarian. I'm studying to become a library technician. It's different. I get paid less. It's different, okay. Peter. It's different. <laughs> She works in the same professional field. It's close enough for me. Yeah, right. me too. <laughs> she, li- she likes organizing things and doing research. She's great to have yeah. around regardless of what the credentials say. Is Thank significantly you. better at this than me. All right. Sold. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's wrap this up. Anybody else got anything? Nope. Nope. I'm good. Cool. Well, from all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See, See you later, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.